Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining me. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the less glamorous side of real estate. We're going to talk about how one agent counsels couples, queens counters, gets a decades-old elevator to work, and closes a condo. We're also going to discuss the most interesting housing market in America, Phoenix, of course, and what effect institutional investors have had for agents, buyers, and sellers. All right, let's get started. Everybody, it is James Lyman here at Housing Wire, and I am with Matthew Blake, senior real estate reporter. Matt, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. So Matt, I want to talk a little bit about a few days that you had taken a, to shadow a top performing agent in Chicago. Uh, you went all around the Chicagoland area and you learned quite a bit about uh, about what life is like on a daily basis for a real estate agent. It's not quite what you see on reality TV. It's no, there's no high kicking uh, from Frederick Eklund. You know, there's no, uh, there's no really wild elaborate parties. There's no, you know, crazy drama at the top of the penthouse. Um, but it is, I, I think, a really illuminating look at um, all of the elbow grease that a top agent in almost any market needs to have to actually get deals done. Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, what that experience was like and what you learned? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So what what happened was is that I followed around Stephanie Laverde. She is a real estate agent at Baird and Warner, which is one of the oldest real estate brokerages in the country, Chicago-based brokerage. And I think, like you said, you know, it really shows the difficult life that sometimes a real estate agent has, uh, you know, on the day to day, like. Laverde is a very prolific agent. She does a lot of sales. She does, I think she said that she did about 40 sales a year or 40 sales in 2021. So, you know, this is somebody doing four times the sales of your average real estate agent in the US. And yet her job is like hardly the picture of glamour. She, uh, on one day, I followed her going from, um, at Edge, uh, Edgebrook, Lincolnwood area, which is in the western suburbs of Chicago. And then we traveled up to the North Shore, Will Matt, uh, which is, you know, by Lake Michigan. And then we traveled down to Logan Square in rush hour. And then she traveled 50 miles back northwest to uh, the, the Park Ridge suburb, which is, I think, most famous for Hillary Clinton being from there. But basically, it was, you know, a travel log of Chicago and the situation is kind of that she has to spend a lot of time in her car. She has to spend a lot of time on her phone. Doing a lot of deals means that you're answering a lot of last minute questions. Uh, you're dealing with lawyers, you're dealing with counterpart agents, you're dealing with nervous clients, you're dealing with people to clean the house, you're dealing with people to photograph the house. And so I think that it really gave me an appreciation of, you know, all the different kind of work that she does. I guess like one overarching thing I would say is that, you know, a lot of kind of white collar workers, including myself during the pandemic, have sort of been fortunate enough to kind of have the choice to, you know, work from home and do a lot of things virtually. In in her case, you know, she has to both do a lot of things virtually, a lot of things on the phone, but then she has to be physically present at, you know, literally four different locations on one day. 
Right. And so she's she's buying plants at Home Depot, putting them in her in her Jeep and then, you know, dropping off, you know, basically doing showings uh, and stagings, you know, on the fly and then driving all over the place. I mean, how much do you think she's spending gas that day? Right. Like it's got to be, you know, fifty dollars in gas. Right. If you're traversing all of Chicagoland, it's it, it can't be sprawling in parts. And uh, I think I was just really struck at the amount of, you know, what what I think of is sort of like minor work in terms of getting a deal across the line, you know, having to coordinate with the photographer or having to even have kind of the wherewithal to think about having plants in your truck or getting lunch. You know, she's eating on the road probably a few days a week. I think it's fair to say, right? So it's, it's, um, it's, it's a lot of little stuff that adds up, uh, but it does result in sales, right? So, so, you know, tell me about some of the houses. She had clients that went to a condo. I, I think the clients were from Atlanta. Can you tell me a little bit about their story and their situation? Yeah, sure. So the day that I spent the most time with her was basically um, culminated with a walkthrough at the end. And a walkthrough is kind of the final stage in the home process where if the home buyers like the home enough, basically there's, you know, a key handoff, um, you know, and, and kind of everything is agreed to. And so in this particular situation, we had a very nice couple. They were very cool with me, kind of shadowing them and, you know, talking to them. Uh, They worked together. Um, They're both from Atlanta and they lived in Atlanta and they had sold their home in Atlanta and they had sold their home back in March. And so they wanted to move to Chicago in part because Chicago is not quite the cutthroat market as some of the other big cities in the U.S. And also because, um, you know, they were looking for a place with good transportation and they found this condo near the Blue Line uh, elevated train platform in in station in, in Logan Square. And so but basically the wife or wife to be there engaged to be married you know, she spent two months, uh, three months um, running out Air- Airbnbs in Chicago looking for a place, just kind of not realizing quite how difficult the situation would be to find, you know, a fairly modest uh, condo in, in Chicago. And um, the, 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 her partner, he had never seen the home before. When he was going through the walkthrough, it was the first time that he had ever seen the home. Uh, he seemed a pretty laid back person and seemed okay with everything, but you know, it was pretty startling. Um, I've never like rented a place without seeing it first. So for him to uh, be purchasing a place without seeing it first, you know, is quite the step. And so, you know, to give a little color about that situation for Stephanie, the agent I was following, it was, you know, it's a delicate dance. You're both kind of showing, the home to one of the two home buyers for the first time, assuring him about matters. And then while you're talking to your two clients, you're also talking to the listing agent who's also there. And so it's this kind of like interesting dance of like small talk and kind of like they were talking about like different golf courses in Atlanta versus Chicago, places where they could go out to eat afterward. But then you're still dealing with kind of the nuts and bolts of the home sale at the end. And Stephanie was kind of nudging the listing agent like, hey, you said this place was going to be really clean. It's not that clean. The listing agent was like, yeah, well, I'm in the suburbs. I you know, wasn't able to 
get it done by by now and and then you're talking about like are the windows safe are you know should we keep this lamp you know what about you know a place for parking a place for bike storage you know all these different kinds of loose ends and it just gave me an appreciation of the million different moving parts as as Stephanie herself put it that go into even you know closing a deal after somebody has signed a contract yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy to even think that these would be open questions at, you know, at a key handoff, right? Like in, in a normal housing market, those probably get resolved fairly early on. But I guess when it's so competitive, even in Chicago, which, you know, compared to the rest of the U.S. is not as competitive a market, these are still questions that get resolved at the very last minute. And so there's, I imagine, a lot of stress and anxiety for real estate agents at every stage of the process, you know, getting clients today, not as easy, right? There are more real estate agents than ever and inventory is lower than ever. And then to compound it, you have the anxiety of mortgage rates being in the fives and sixes, depending on, you know, the credit worthiness and situation of the borrower. And then on top of it, you know, because it is still a competitive market in some respects, but not necessarily in a great way for agents, um, you know, you have to deal with all of these questions that I think probably would have been resolved you know, a little bit earlier on. And so you really have to bring your A game pretty much every day. And I'm sure every other day is um, <laughs> is one where you go, oh my God, what am I doing here? Why do I do this job? I'm sure there's a little self-doubt that comes to do it at times too. So yeah, it's a really great story. And hopefully we'll have that up in the next day or two, Matt. Uh, but I wanted to shift gears. I wanted to also talk a little bit about kind of that, that million dollar, trillion dollar word, probably uh, inventory, right? Everybody wants it. Nobody seems to have it. Um, and, and you sort of did a deep dive into what I think is, is personally the most fascinating real estate market in the country, and that's Phoenix. And Phoenix, of course, is interesting because, you know, it's not just buyers and sellers in, in a traditional marketplace. You have, it's kind of the home, the epicenter of iBuying, right? You have a huge amount of investment, uh, you know, built to rent. You have a lot of, uh institutional investors that are scooping up large tracts of housing, but there's also some home building activity too. Uh, so, so tell me what's, what's going on in Phoenix lately and, and what does that say about kind of the larger question about inventory in America? Yeah. So I, I, I find Phoenix fascinating too, as sort of a bellwether of different trends in the housing market. And I do think that what we're seeing now in Phoenix there is a documented rise in inventory according to Information Markets, which is this company that just collects a treasure trove of data from Maricopa County, the you know county that includes Phoenix. And basically what has happened is that the amount of inventory has more than doubled uh, since February. And so it's a situation where what seems to be happening according to real estate agents that I talked to there is that some of the folks who had been buying before are maybe getting priced out of the market. Um, and, and I think it is partly because of the mortgage interest rates going up from like, I guess about 3% last year to, you know, five or 6% now. And so if you can't buy for cash that, you know, puts you at a, Disadvantage. I mean, obviously, as you know, housing wires amply documented over the years, like a slight increase in mortgage rates can mean a huge increase in monthly payments for for people. And so, what is happening because of that is that there's um, a nudge up in the number of cash buyers, 
basically in the Phoenix area right now, a third of the homes are being purchased uh, with cash in, instead of, you know, with uh, a payment plan that's usually a 30-year mortgage payment. And so who are these cash buyers, I think, is one of the big questions right now. And according to the folks that I've talked to in Phoenix, these folks at Information Markets, uh, Chaitrar, uh, he's a realtor at Remax, uh, Dana Hubble, a realtor in that area. What, what they're saying and, and what the numbers are showing is that of these cash buyers, um, I think about, let me try to think about how to break down this number. I think about a quarter of these cash buyers are institutional investors. That means like Predium Partners, Invitation Homes, basically corporate landlords um, that- Wall Street. Right, Wall Street. People that, you know, people who buy the homes, hold on to them and usually like rent them out to people. And then about maybe 20% of the cash buyers are like- um, I buyers like open door offer pad. And then, you know, the rest are, you know, either people who are rich enough to, you know, or wealthy enough to like take out a loan to buy a home for cash or have the cash on hand. And then there's also folks, you know, the so-called mom and pop investors, which as has been well-documented is now a growing part of the market of people who like basically own two or three homes and um, are, are, are basically buying up homes as either summer home, win- winter home, I guess, in the case of Phoenix, and then also like as a place to basically invest their money. And uh, well, one final thing I wanted to point out about all of that is that these institutional investors, it's sort of like a contention, like, well, how much of a sway do they really have in the market? Because I think that a lot of people, including kind of the institutional investor lobby group in Washington points out like, hey, we're only like one or 2% of the market nationally. And that's true. But another way of looking at it is in a place like Phoenix is that they're buying up the homes that are basically the cheapest homes. Like they're buying up homes that are like less than $500,000. And so about 15% of the homes in Phoenix, one of the analysts I was talking to said this, about 15% of the homes in Phoenix that are less than $500,000 are going to these institutional investors. So they are having a significant effect on inventory, at least in Phoenix, when it comes to sort of these more affordable homes. Interesting. And my recollection is that according to the case killer index, Phoenix mm-hmm. has also had some of the highest price growth. It's right. pretty much every month for the last two years. Are, are people on the ground or some of these analysts that you've spoken to, are they attributing that factor partly, entirely, not at all to the rise of the institutional investor? I, I mean, I, I think as Steven Schwartzman can outbid me on pretty much any home I'd, I'd want to buy in uh, in Phoenix. But do they, you know, if they're buying up the cheap homes, does that just raise the floor or... Uh, Anything you could share about kind of what you learned on on the fears, at least? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, that's a that's a good. I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah, like the home price appreciation in Phoenix is like insane. Like I think it was like up by like 20 or 25 percent, like year over year, month over month last year, and it's still like going up by a lot. And so I think because of that, it's attractive to institutional investors. It's just sort of like a you know a place to store their money. The other factor with Phoenix um, is that, well, I mean, there are a couple of factors with Phoenix. I mean, one is that 
OfferPad is based in Chandler, Arizona, which is right nearby. And so kind of like the iBuyers are just like much more involved there than they are uh, like in other places of the country, like Open Door. Open Door is technically based in San Francisco, but like I think the plurality of their employees are based in, in the Phoenix area or, or at least the second. They've always had a big presence yeah. there for sure. And, and Zillow before them had a right. big presence there as well. And Zillow before them. And then the other thing, I think the other reason like the institutional investors are in there is just sort of like, it's easier to value homes in Phoenix just because like the homes, you know, look the same. Like they're, you know, I don't want to use the word cookie cutter or phrase cookie cutter, but you know, they're a little, more similar in Phoenix than they are in other parts of the country. And that makes it maybe easier to like value them if you're just sort of like treating the home as like an investment, um, you know, vehicle instead of like a place to live. Well, it means that they use a, an AVM, you know, they, they don't need to get the appraiser who's going to go through their, their underwriting. You know, it's a lot easier to say, okay, you know, we, we know that this neighborhood in Phoenix, virtually all of them are, you know, built in the eighties or nineties. And, you know, this is the composition this is how they look. And, and, you know, we feel like we can value this pretty, pretty adequately and, and our underwriting will support it. And, and I guess if they're, they're juicing their ends too, they, they can. So yeah, it's, it's a really interesting market. And, and there are other markets like this too. You know, I, I think it's Tampa, Florida has, has a lot of similar, um, you know, characteristics as markets go. And, and, and so when we talk about, you know, this idea of institutional investors, and and you hear the lobbyists say, yeah, it's one or two percent in the country. That may be true because they're not buying in the suburbs of you know Lincoln, Nebraska, right? Their their business model hasn't hasn't really uh, been utilized, uh, or, or the interest may not be there. But in hot sunbelt cities, but literally and figuratively, you know, an eye buyer or an institutional investor can make a huge difference in how a you know a market functions. You know, if, if you know that you're a seller and you'll probably be selling to, you know, an LLC or, or some sort of, you know, a hedge fund or, or a private equity fund or, you know, some other large scale investor, um, you probably market it differently. You agents have to respond differently, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, it's crazy. Like one, one thing I've, you know, one big picture thing I've really learned the last year and reporting all this stuff is like these companies, you know, Open Door, uh, Zillow before they, um, you know, began exiting, I buying a uh, ribbon, uh, you know, so a power buyer. Um, and then like, you know, companies like Credium, these institutional investors, you mentioned Steven Schwartzman, like, like Blackstone, like these companies are all like based in like, you know, the West coast or the Northeast, but like all their activities in the South, like they're all, it's all in like Phoenix, Tampa, as you mentioned, Charlotte, Orlando, like those are the markets where kind of, you know, the corporations are more buying up and, and more involved in like the single family home market. And I think for agents, it's very much a mixed bag, right? So on the one hand, you basically have certainty of close, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, no, nobody thinks that Steven Schwartzman is going to run out of money that day before, you know, he, he steps into that condo in Phoenix for a closing or a single family home rather. Uh, but they're not always the easiest to deal with. You've done some reporting mm-hmm. on, uh, on, on, you know, how agents deal with, with some of the iBuyers, right? And, and, you know, occasionally you'll have no communication whatsoever. And then suddenly, you know, there are eight people, there's a full team that is assembled to make sure that the deal goes through. And it's, it's, it's a challenge for a lot of everyday real estate agents. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of agents, like to go back to the person I was shadowing, Stephanie Laverde, I mean, a lot of the agents, they're like, they got into this business because they like the personal interaction with their clients, the personal interaction with other people. And so, you know, oftentimes when they're dealing with an iBuyer or an institutional investor on the other end, they don't like have that and it can be vexing for them sometimes. All right. Well, I I think we're going to have to leave it there. Matt, thank you so much for joining me as always. Really appreciate it. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.